You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, you sit before us today, a man who can no longer father children. That's actually not true. Is that not true? No. Maybe I misunderstood the parameters of this operation that you have undergone in well, the interim well, between Chad, shows. What you're referring to is the vasectomy that I went and got uh, this past week. But it was, was made very clear to me. It sounds like they don't want any misunderstandings about this. It's not like they do it and you walk out of there and you're totally free and clear. You still you have some, some stockpiles there that you got to get rid of before they consider you to be no longer basically, you know, a risk, for lack of a better word. Some stockpiles, you say? Yeah. Okay. All right. So how long does it take before you become infertile? Well, see, here's where I kind of embarrassed myself uh, during the, the, the procedure. You know, the nurse comes in and she's kind of explained to me everything. Like, here's, don't do this after you leave here today. Do this, you know. Um, and she was like, you know. Don't you know, don't ejaculate for a week after the surgery. Okay, this is getting graphic. I didn't know I we were going to get this graphic. I don't know why, why, why you thought it would go any other way. Okay. Um, and then she said in the two to six weeks following that, try to get 15 to 20 in, and that way it'll probably get rid of all the stockpiles. So you're just flushing out the system. Basically. And she said that, and the way she phrased it, I, I maintain this is more her fault than mine, but I was like, 15 to 20 a week? And she... And she Looked at me as if I were a monster and was like, no, total. Try to do that total in, in two to six weeks. And I was just like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, of course. Yeah, because that'd be way too many. I would never. Ah, okay. Yeah, I was having some fun here. Um, so that was my that was my experience. And then they went ahead and they cut open my testicles. And it was a lot of fun for everybody. With a laser or with a, with an implement? I, don't, I did not look. Okay. I didn't want to see. The actual and, procedure is not that bad. All the people out there, all our listeners who I know are thinking either I'm done having children or I never want to have them. How do I make sure of that? Um, the actual procedure itself, not that bad. I mean, there's local anesthetic and everything. It doesn't really hurt that much. While you know, it's like there's some pressure and everything. But like the days after that, I have, you know, it's it's annoying. It feels like somebody did something to your balls and it hurts. Yeah, you've told me that there's been some extenuating circumstance, which is frankly not what I want to hear since I'm probably headed down that road myself. You know, speaking of which, though, you, you should have a baby here like any day now, right? Yeah, a couple couple few weeks. Yeah. Early June is the uh, official due date. Well, see, I was also kind of unsure about going and, and having the vasectomy done. And then once I actually had two children around the house and realized, like, you could you could screw up here and there could be three right. and then you're in but you're you in paid, deep trouble. You paid extra to go in right away. Then I was right? like, all right, let's handle this. You paid the extra dollar like the play now function on a jukebox. <laughs> I was I was waiting for you to compare this somehow to playing, you know, Welcome to the Jungle at a bar. Uh same thing, basically. Ben, 
Once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com. UFC 187 is this Saturday, and double title fights means double the intrigue headed into this event. You know how this works by now. Just log on to DraftKings.com, pick five fighters, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to a serious payday. Score points for significant strikes, advances, takedowns, and more. If fighting's not your bag, though seriously, if it's not... Why are you listening to us? It's a good question. A valid question. You can also play daily fantasy baseball right now on DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite daily fantasy sports site. Ben, tell them how they can save themselves some bucks while they sign up. Well, Chad, you hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter code CME to play for free. You could win part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Enter CME for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. See, that's how we do it. We layer in the sponsorship announcements with the vasectomy talk. Yeah. Seamlessly. I feel like there's got to be a urology office out there somewhere that wants to sponsor this podcast now. Yeah, well, you should have found that out before you went in for the uh, for the operation. Chad, I think I already explained to you that there was no time. There was it just no had time. to be done immediately. Just wait a couple weeks. Okay, wait to see will. how things yeah. turn out around here. Uh, we got music this week, too, Ben. This week's songs come to us from our old pal NC-17, a DJ from Canada who's had his music on the show before. He writes to us, I make drum and bass slash jungle music. My stuff is, avail- is available anywhere from HMV stores and online. I actually don't know what that means. No. That must be a Canadian Or it's something thing. that the youth know about. That's right. That iTunes, Beatport, which is another thing I've just never heard of just making stuff up. might be and most urban record shops that sell my genre of music so that's where you can find nc17's work if you like what you hear on the show today uh three rounds as usual this week for the co-main event podcast in round number one like it or not and it seems like at least a few of you don't frankie edgar is still super good at mixed martial arts so coming out against that seems kind of weird And in round number two, finally, 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 Chris Weidman stands poised to defend his middleweight title against some unknown version of Vitor Belfort. In a perfect world, this means we finally get to stop worrying about this shit. But just to be on the safe side, should we also be planning for a doomsday type scenario? You know, just in case. Never hurts to plan for a doomsday scenario. And in round number three, don't get me wrong, I like the new UFC 187 commercial, especially because if you watched it on mute, you might think that Chuck Liddell and Rampage Jackson and Forrest Griffin and Lyoto Machida and Shogun Hua were all fighting this weekend. But undisputed doesn't seem like the exact right word to use about the UFC light heavyweight title just now. Why? Oh, I get it. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. You know, we're going to have to get Sir Nigel back on the show. We are. At some point. Some week, there will be a week when we're not trying to break down three fights and do two events and yeah, all kinds of stuff. And we'll have Sir Nigel come back in for Master Tweet. And Theater. hopefully his various travel restrictions will have been lifted and he can make it in here. He'll, he'll, he will have been released from that Chinese prison. <laughs> He's trying to mule some drugs across the border. He refers to himself as a political prisoner, but I've heard that one before from him. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Jeff of Atlanta. I like it. So a Classy. little different spin on the normal 
uh, way people identify themselves. He writes, John Anik handing the microphone to Mark Munoz at the end of his win Saturday and saying the mic is yours confirmed for me something that Ben has said for a while. The best UFC announcing crew is Anik and Brian Stan, hands down. Yep. I have also said that, but apparently I don't count for the purposes of this letter. Your opinion is worthless. Fuck you, Jeff of Atlanta. <laughs> He continues to write, I haven't watched many events with them behind the desk, but when I do, I'm struck by how informative, level-headed, and professional they are. These, There are no Rogan-esque O's or Goldberg's cheesy one-liners. It is so refreshing. In that same moment, I'm guessing Joe Rogan would have tried to ask Munoz his usual inane questions like, what was going through your head, or did the fight play out like you expected it to, instead of just stepping away and letting the moment happen? And don't get me even get me started on Goldberg. That guy's a vortex of announcing talent. Uh, will we ever get to the point where Anna can stand or Florian, who is also good, or the A-team, and we send Rogan and Goldberg to Mount Zions as a sacrifice to the MMA gods? Gentlemen, discuss. You know, for one thing, I'll say, first of all, I think that Rogan maybe gets lumped in with Goldberg too much. And I, I, I do think that Joe Rogan is a good color commentator a lot of the time. I think if you... Like, it seems like the UFC absolutely never wants to do three guys at the broadcast table. But I think if you were going to do three, uh, John Anik, Brian Stan, and Joe Rogan would be a pretty awesome team. Yeah. I, I think they all sure. bring something different and something unique. Um, I do think, though, that there are times, and this was one of them, where you can tell the difference between, like, John Anik, a guy who has a whole lot of, like, interviewing experience, and Joe Rogan, who, you know, he interviewing is not his greatest strength uh, when he gets up there. Like, he's really good at, like insightful stuff from the color commentator position but he's also the king of doing the interview where like he doesn't ask a question he just makes a statement and then hands the microphone over to you uh so yeah john anik is better at that he's probably been doing it a lot longer and has a lot more experience with it though but i don't know i mean i i well you'll never get me to jump up there and defend mike goldberg and say we absolutely need to keep him around uh on the the commentary team I do think that uh, Joe Rogan is is pretty good at what he does most of the time. Well, there's a reason also that the UFC went out and acquired John Anik uh, as a free agent, if you will, after it signed the deal with Fox and it knew it was going to have a lot more programming. It was going to have to fill, um, you know, with an announce slots and stuff like that. They, you know, they didn't go out and grab Todd Harris, who had done WEC uh, events. They didn't go out and grab some of the other guys uh, who who have done uh you know mma work here or there they went out and got john anik from espn because uh you know he's a he's a super slick and professional broadcaster and i think that that was one of the better moves that the ufc has made in a while was to go out there and pick him pick him up uh and he seems to just have a pretty good instincts for for how to handle situations because normally as we all know, in the mixed martial arts world, cardinal sin number one of the in-cage interview would be letting the dude take the mic away from you. Uh, but obviously, Mark Munoz goes out and get, gets a big win over uh, Luke Barnett uh, this, this past weekend, the last fight of his career. We all knew that going in. And Mark Munoz, renowned as, as uh, one of the sport's true nice guys and a person that you know almost anyone that's had contact with Mark Munoz over the course of his MMA career wants good things to happen to him. So it was the right moment, I thought, for John Anik to uh, let Mark Munoz take the mic, and also the right moment for the folks on Fox Sports One to uh, to let Mark Munoz go on and not like play him off like he was doing an, an Oscar speech or something, not to yeah. hit the music uh, to to get him off the stage. Even though I think we did end up overrunning the start of Braves Marlins or whatever. Oh it come was. on, when are they not 
run over. Almost every time. UFC is the most like consistent product on TV for running over its allotted time. In fact, if you have to write a story about a UFC event that you watch on Fox Sports 1 and you're watching it live, half the trick is remembering to restart your DVR after it turns off, (laughs) which this past weekend happened just after the first round of of Frankie Edgar. Right, because your your DVR thinks no one could possibly be still watching TV at this point. It's been Uh, way too long. Not yeah, not that we want to go on too long on this question, but uh, not and not that anyone is surprised about this. But Brian Stan, he has his detractors out there, but I feel like he, from the word go of of being a retired MMA fighter looking for a second career, has been like a goddamn natural. Yeah. on the mic. You know what? That I don't think because I I know Brian fairly well, and I, I talked to him some. And I don't, I think it's one of those things where we think of it that way. It looks to us like he's just a goddamn natural at this. I think he puts a lot of work into this, uh, in like preparing right. and studying, uh, tape and everything and, and thinking about what he's going to say. I think he just does a lot more prep work than a lot of the other guys do, or especially a lot of the other guys who are fighters turned broadcasters do. I think that he kind of brings that same work ethic to this that he brought to everything else he did. He's just kind of one of those like obsessive dudes about that kind of stuff. And I think that that it's showing. I also think though, the, the point that Jeff of Atlanta makes here is that it's such a different feel when it's Anakin Stan. Like it feels way more like I'm watching a sports broadcast and way less like, you know, the, that's kind of pro wrestling feel that you get where, you know, the announcers are working for the, right. uh, for the company and right. trying to put over a certain kind of vibe for the whole thing. And just like, the yelling and screaming, that kind of stuff. Like, you just don't get that with Anakin Stan. And I really prefer it this way. I mean, maybe we're alone. Maybe that's just us being, like, old fogies uh, and not appreciating how the youth like to be screamed at. I don't know. Um, but I I just keep waiting for the time when it's, it will feel like Fox Sports and the UFC stop treating them like the JV squad. Like, oh, there's a fight night show in the Philippines on a Saturday morning. Send Anakin Stan and keep Rogan and Goldberg to do the the pay-per-views. I'd love to see, like, when there's a big pay-per-view, Annex Dan Rogan, just get a little bigger table, one more set of headphones. It can't be that hard, right? Next question this week comes to us from Eric Randall. He writes, Don't you think Neil Magny versus Tarek Safadine makes makes sense? Uh, Common opponent in limb, Magny finished him, the sponge did not. So, yeah, Ben, Neil Magny goes out and gets his seventh win in a row at this event from the Philippines over the weekend uh, after some kind of shaky moments there in the early going. So he has one of the longer active win streaks now going in the UFC, but uh, still has beat guys like Gassan Umalatov. And, uh, oh, the Dirty Bird, Tim Means. Dirty Bird. Rodrigo De Lima, Alex Garcia, William Macario. Kichi Kunamoto, and then his most recent win over. You gonna do you're gonna, it? I thought you were gonna fill in there. No, I, you're on a roll. Pronunciation of, you're on a roll of Hyun Gyu Lim. Oh, was that close? Yeah, Did close. Yeah, you know you're right that it does. You look at like you hear the seven fight win streak thing, and then you look at the names of who he's beaten, and I can't recall a longer win streak that seemed more on like. Like, if you were making a graph of quality opponent, that it would look almost like just a straight line yeah. going across instead of, like, arcing upwards like you would expect to see with a win streak that long. Part of it, I think, is his willingness to just keep fighting as much as he possibly can against whoever you got. And, you know, with the UFC and the injuries and stuff like that, whoever you got might be uh, more or less the same kind of guy you had last time. But it is kind of surprising. Like, he does – you, you got to get to this point where you think, like, all right – 
throw him in there against somebody tougher, like somebody with a real name. And I mean, uh, Hyungyu Lim had a guy can hit. He has power, you know, and it seemed like Neil Magny felt that at times. But I mean, somebody like Tarek Safadine, yeah, that would be a little bit of, more of a step up. It seems like it, it's got to be now, though, right? It's got now has got to be the time to test him a little more. It sure seemed that way this past weekend. You got to do something with the guy. You can't just keep him on this flat trajectory graph like you just said, or else, as we saw this past weekend, someone's going to come along and beat him, and then and then you'll be facing a situation like we almost did on Saturday where Neil Magny's six-fight win streak would end before noon on a Saturday from the Philippines against a guy that very few people had heard of, and that would make you feel like maybe we had a little something going with Neil Magny, and then we squandered it. Uh, so that would be kind of a shame. I think you got to give the guy his opportunity to either prove or disprove, you know, that he belongs in that next tier of, of fighters in his weight class. And he's, he's frankly never going to get there. You could pile up, you know, 20 of these wins. And I don't know that it would necessarily be a whole heck of a lot more impressive than having seven. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta give him a chance to prove what he's made of and, and, you know, make some, some forward progress. Uh, in his career, and I think now is the right time to do that because you have established this sort of storyline with him now as this guy with with seven fights in a row. And Safadine seems like a, a a quality opponent. I think he he was supposed to fight Matt Brown in February, but pulled out uh, citing a groin injury. So I don't know what's happening with him now, but uh, if he's healthy and ready to go, I think that would be kind of a perfect next fight for uh, Neo Magny. Yeah, good work. Uh... Eric Randall. Next question this week comes from Kevin Stianchi. He writes, the Nevada State Athletic Commission decided to increase the penalty for testing positive for PEDs. I'm sure we're all happy about that decision, but the NSAC can't seem to get shit right. They have to make sure to balance that good decision with tomfoolery. They increased the penalty for popping positive for cannabis to 18 months. So that's just, and that's just for the first time, discuss. Yeah, this was a weird one, and this seemed like a pretty good opportunity for the Nevada State Athletic Commission to get a slow-pitch softball that it could hammer out of the park. Uh, but in, I guess, the the fashion that we've come to expect from this particular governmental body, no, not even a whiff or a hint of nuance and or finesse in this, in this decision. Um, and that's kind of a shame because I do think, you know, as Kevin writes, we probably all uh, support their decision to to strengthen the PEDs rules, which is frankly something that we thought needed to be done for a while now. Uh, and it seemed like a good opportunity for them to kind of go ham in one area while deprioritizing something else that that could have made it a popular and arguably, you know, all the way around a, a progressive decision. But I don't know, man, these people report to the governor, right, of the state of Nevada. They're appointed by him. So perhaps lessening the marijuana restrictions is not necessarily as easy as we think it would be. Maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. The thing, I, I just think that we should stop testing for marijuana altogether. Uh, when it, It's just the too many things about it where, for one thing, it's not the a concern from a performance-enhancing standpoint. It also remains in your system so much longer than it's actually active. So it just seems so problematic to test for it. And it seems, I, I think of... Uh, that book, the NFL memoir, Slow Getting Up by Nate Jackson from the Denver Broncos, who his uh, s solution that he laid out for the NFL when it came to dealing with marijuana was just like, stop testing for it and don't announce it. Don't tell anybody, like, just just don't do it anymore. Nope, make a big deal out of it. 
Um, I would love to see something like that happen. Like you said, there, there might be some, some more obstacles for them in doing that. But I do think that them increasing the penalty uh, so much for testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs, I'd at least, like that's, that's a good sign. We're at least moving in the right direction on that, right? Like that's yeah. You see that kind of penalty, and that's gonna make some people take that shit seriously. Oh, somebody's gonna end up doing some hard time before yeah, you know, this message is heard. Yeah, you know, people are still gonna get caught doing it, and yeah, it's gonna be serious. And I think like you're gonna see somebody whose like career is dramatically altered, if not effectively ended, uh, by popping positive for some kind of performance enhancing drug. And I think that will send a, a very sobering message to a lot of fighters. Yeah, and the thing about marijuana is that a lot of the dudes uh, or a lot of the people who are smoking marijuana as professional fighters, they're self-medicating for pain, right, in a, in a lot of cases, which is in itself maybe a harrowing realization to come to about the sport that you watch. But like in a realistic fashion, a lot of these people are choosing to smoke medicinal marijuana over being whacked out on painkillers all the time. Um, and I might argue that I see that as a positive choice. Yeah. Because or they, they're not like drinking themselves like into a stupor. Like, we hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if you're choosing to smoke marijuana instead of uh, slamming a ton of Vicodin or whatever, that that to me is probably a better choice for yourself and for society, frankly. So uh, if you look at it that way, it does, you know, it kind of undermines any any notion that that the these guys would just be potheads who are smoking weed and playing video games, which probably also part of it but yeah well, uh, i mean but i mean i think that there's a legitimate reason at times for for a professional mma fighter to smoke marijuana yeah well but yeah i guess the the big main takeaway is it did seem like here was the nsac gonna step in here do some shit we've been saying they they should do for a long time and finally get the attaboy points did it not seem like they really wanted those attaboy points even after they kind of screwed it up there at the end well, yeah, and you can't blame them, really, because they've been <laughs> fucking them for a long time, but still half fucking up. You're almost there. Although, I don't know, maybe Brian Edward Sandoval, the 29th and current governor of the U.S. US state of Nevada and member of the Republican Party, uh, would not look kindly on a more progressive view of marijuana laws. Hard to say. Come on. It's Nevada, man. Uh, this one from Nathan Hill. He writes over the weekend, former UFC fighter, Corey Hill passed away. While this is very unfortunate and I send my best to his friends and family. I couldn't help but notice the resemblance between this and when Shane Del Rosario passed away. It wasn't just people on social media giving conflicting reports, but also the UFC in both cases, quote unquote, confirmed the fighters passing before the fighter actually did pass away. What the hell? Uh, yeah, this was, was an awkward one frankly yeah. uh on social media and a tragedy obviously that Corey hill would would pass away so young i believe at the age of 36 uh and and obviously we remember him first and foremost for suffering a horrific in, uh injury inside the uh the octagon and then uh a broken leg much kind of like the one anderson silva suffered and then you know suffering through a lot of rehab and coming back to restart his mma career so now to have him felled by uh pneumonia at a young age, uh, kind of one of those things in life that you might think of as being super unfair. Uh, and so that's, that's a tragedy for him and a, and a tragedy for his family. But as far as the media matters situation in this story, uh, once again, reinforcing the idea, I think that it's really, really overrated to be first and really, really underrated to be right. Yeah. And that's something though you see all over with 
internet journalism, right? Is that there is such a race to be first and that sometimes, and I know I've seen this happen with uh, good reporters who I know in the MMA space where they're waiting on, you know, something that they can depend on, something where they can know that they're right reporting about this. And somebody else basically beats them to the story and sometimes does so by offering less to the reader, um, but just by doing that is able to kind of plant their flag on the story and be like, I was here first, um, even if they didn't do it best. Uh, like that, I think that affects the way people report that stuff. It was weird to me, though, because, you know, I was kind of following this one like via Twitter because I was getting a vasectomy that day. Um, and it was one of those things where before I went in, I'd seen this stuff on Twitter where people were saying like, Hey, uh, cause people knew that I knew Corey Hill and were saying, Hey, this is going on with Corey Hill. Corey Hill is dead. And it was kind of shocking for me. I mean, Corey Hill is a awesome dude. I, I talked to him a bunch for that story I did on him last year. I went out there to, to Florida and spent a little time with him there, uh, and was a really awesome dude to, to do a story with really open and thoughtful guy to, to talk to. And so, yeah, I was really shocked when I heard that. And then I came out of the doctor's office and there, there was an email on my phone from the UFC basically with their statement on it. And then I thought like, okay, well, when you got the statement from the UFC, they must know, right? And it turns out, no, not really. Like even they kind of jumped out there in front of it. Uh, and I mean, this one was kind of a weird one that it sounded like he was maybe, you know, brain dead at the time when everybody was making these uh, premature reports um, that he'd already been through the severity of the, the medical complications that, that ultimately ended up killing him. And it was just kind of a matter of when it was going to be official. But yeah, it is, it's just like, I think we would all maybe identify with that where when I die, I don't want there to be like, I don't want there to be a story of like people wrongfully reporting that I'm dead. And then it turns out, no, I am really dead a few hours later. Like, I would like the dignity of you getting that right the first time. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, that's a definitely an awkward one to fumble. Uh, last question this week comes from Nick Raymond. He writes, after listening to your last podcast, I decided to take your challenge and come up with an idea to get the fighters more money. My solution is this. Charge $5 more for a pay-per-view. When you order the pay-per-view, you get a unique number that you can use to go on a website. This website allows you to divide that $5 for the fighters you thought did an outstanding job. This could be a limit of, there could be a limit of five fighters each getting $1 or just open it up to allow as many fighters as you want uh, down to the cent. You think Cerrone sold the show? Give him your whole $5. All the fights were so fantastic, you can't decide what to do. Split it between all the fighters. Even a crappy pay-per-view does 100,000 100, buys, so that's an extra 500,000 going straight to the fighters of the fans' choice. If you don't vote, it can get distributed among the uh, performance of the night winners. It would be nice if the UFC just took the $5 from their pocket and kept the pay-per-view price the same, but that's wishful thinking. I think this is nice and a simple solution to help the fighters. Uh, I think this is an awesome idea. Yeah, I kind of love this. Like even if you even if you didn't get down to the nitty gritty of being able to go online and vote how your your money was going to be spent, uh, myself and I would like to think a lot of MMA fans would probably gleefully fork over an extra five dollars um, if we had some kind of transparency and some assurance that that money at least was going, uh, you know, specifically and straight to to the fighters. Uh, it. I think the word wishful thinking is a good phrase to use here because it's something that I don't know that I can imagine the current power structure of the UFC uh, doing, but it brings me back to an age old question that I don't know that I've ever asked on the show before, but I've certainly asked you before. And, and, you know, 
posed rhetorically in various situations, and that is, if you are a, a UFC fan and you fork over 60 bucks to buy a pay-per-view at this point, do you have... Uh, you know, the right to know where your money is going. Because right now you don't. Right now you just kind of take 60 bucks and throw it through the, through the internet line yeah. or the phone line or however you order. Uh, and you never find out what happens to that money. And that kind of bothers me as a consumer when I think about it. I would like to know, you know, what is happening to my money after I pay for it. And then I think that this idea is an, is an awesome one, frankly. Yeah. The only problem I really see is other than like the, logistics of making it all happen and the transparency which would be a huge issue uh, like you say is the ufc just raised the price five dollars uh, so it would be nice like ideally yeah, is that five dollars going to the fighters <laughs> see no that's go. just an extra okay yeah that's just an extra just, five dollars i mean i guess we don't know maybe it is but uh, I doubt yeah it. but see that would be one where if the ufc had said like hey we're raising the price of the pay-per-view five dollars and we're giving it all to the fighters and we're going to let you decide how it got. like I think that would be awesome like I think that that would make people more likely to buy like a pay-per-view that they might be on the fence about uh and like promote a little bit more like fan engagement and g- give you that sense that like all right we do have a way of making sure that our money goes to fighters and not to put snow in Dana White's damn driveway well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out on Friday mornings, and it'll catch you up on the news and notes in the MMA world that we miss from Monday to Friday when we're not recording the podcast, and something big always happens on Tuesdays, pretty much as soon as we get this thing this thing posted. It's guaranteed. Uh, so it's worthwhile for you to go to the website and sign up for that. It's it's humorous. It's funny. You'll, we think you'll like it. Give it a try. It's free. And also, if you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe. So there you go. Or just not open the damn email. It's not that hard. Just leave it sit there. Staring at you. Judging. <laughs> just staring you right in the face. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. This week, round one of the co-main event podcast is once again presented by the National Academy of Sports Medicine. I know that there's a bunch of in-shape men and women out there listening to the podcast, trying to make big life decisions. And with that, let us help you out a little bit. The National Academy of Sports Medicine could be for you. The NASM is looking for people who want exciting careers in the fitness industry, careers where you wake up every day doing something that you love. Personal trainers from the NASM improve people's lives by helping them reach their health and fitness goals. Don't miss this opportunity to start a career where you get to stay active and change people's lives. It doesn't get any better. The NASM guarantees you'll land a job within 60 days of earning your CPT certification or or your money back. Ben, tell them about the free offer. Well, Chad, you get a 14-day free trial of fun online programs at myusatrainer.com. It's myusatrainer.com. Restrictions apply. See myusatrainer.com for details. Ben, in the main event of Ultimate Fight Night 66, Frank James Edgar and the California Man 
Uriah Christopher uh, Faber went out there and did the damn thing for five complete rounds in a fight that I think, in retrospect, pay, played out just about exactly like we should have expected it to, and maybe we did expect it to. Uh, Frankie Edgar came in as something close to a four-to-one favorite. It was probably more competitive than that, especially in the early going, but as this fight wore on, it turned more and more into a, a Frankie Edgar fight where he just kind of uh, piled on. I guess you would say, and, uh, you know, continued to extend his lead until finally he won a unanimous decision, 50, 45 times three. I guess to open it up, Ben, did, do you think Frankie Edgar deserves and or proved that he should be the man to face the winner of Jose Aldo's title defense against Conor McGregor in July? Well, I think the question that uh, you have to ask yourself Don't is... Don't answer my question with a question. If not him, who? Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're running up into the problem, right, where if Jose Aldo retains his title against Conor McGregor, he's kind of run the table at featherweight for the most part. You you know, you still have some guys coming up the ranks. Uh, You know, guys like uh, Max Holloway looked really good uh, in his last fight against uh, Cubby Sampson, uh, purveyor of fine appetizers and fried cheese sticks. Uh, But if you're looking at the very top of the division right now, you got guys like Frankie Edgar, guys like Chad Mendez, both of whom have already fought and lost to Jose Aldo, and both of whom seem like they could give Jose Aldo a good, competitive, fun fight again. Um, and so I think you kind of go down to who has the more significant wins lately and who is farther removed from their last shot at him, and that's Frankie Edgar. The problem is for Frankie, you're sitting there and you're waiting to see what's going to happen uh, with Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor. Because, hey, man, if Conor McGregor goes out there and beats Jose Aldo, which, you know, I'm not saying I think that's going to happen necessarily, but it could, uh, then I would think that the UFC might feel very tempted to go ahead and book that one again to say, hey, Aldo has been the only reigning UFC featherweight champion since we created that title. He deserves an instant rematch. And, oh, by the way, we deserve to be able to just print damn money by rebooking it because you know that's going to be a huge fight and it's going to be pretty profitable for them. Yeah, I suppose that would be the, uh, maybe the one thing, uh, besides injury that could derail Frankie Edgar's claim as, as being the next title challenger. This was yet another one of these fights, and I don't know why, but I feel like I feel this way after every time Frankie Edgar fights, where I come out of the fight being like, God damn it, he's just so goddamn good at that thing that he does. Yeah. Uh, which I enjoy. I think it's, it's super fun to watch, actually, if you are, uh, a fan of, of literal mixed martial arts, then I th- feel like you should enjoy what Frankie Edgar does just the way that, you know, he excels in, in hitting you a bunch of times and then making it so that you are not able to hit him. And probably the most impressive thing that he does in my book anyway, is transitions from the striking into those takedowns that he has, which is, uh, you know, it's not like Uriah Faber is an easy dude to take down either. Uh, and, and Frankie Edgar, as the fight wore on, could pretty much take him down at will, took him down five times, couldn't really hold him down. Uh, pretty much no one can really hold him right. down. Right. And I think, you know, that, that Give speaks props to, to Uriah that Faber. Speaks to Uriah Faber's uh, greatness too. He is also a very, a very good mixed martial artist. And as the broadcast team told us during the fight, like Frankie Edgar kind of made no bones about the fact that he didn't want to get into a scramble with Uriah Faber on the ground because he didn't want Uriah Faber on his back, uh, which was probably a smart decision for him. So it just seems to me, but for Frankie Edgar at this point, really good mixed martial artist, smart guy, good game planner. I don't know if you've noticed, but generally pretty good in rematches as well. I would really like to see and have an opportunity to see him fight Jose Aldo again if things play out according to Chalk and the Aldo-McGregor uh, fight. Um, I don't know that Frankie Edgar would win, but he certainly didn't get outclassed the first time around. Uh, 
and that you know would would I think be an interesting fight to have. I wouldn't also argue with Uriah Faber against Conor McGregor if they both come out as losers in the next couple of months. One of the interesting things about the top guys at the featherweight division right now is that almost no matter what happens, you're going to come out of it with some good matchups. Yeah, that's true. I mean, or you could do Conor, Conor McGregor loses, you could do him versus Chad Mendez. They're already bickering right. back and forth at one yeah. another. Uh, yeah, I think the the problem I would see for Frank Edgar is you look at the style of fight that he had against Uriah Faber and – it's a style where he, from the first moment on, seems like he's planning on winning on points, um, which, you know, that's a viable way to win, and he does a really good job of that. Uh, and I think that's a tough way to go against a guy like Jose Aldo, uh, who has that kind of power um, and can really chop away at you. I, you when you have to plan for how you're going to fight that guy for five rounds— there's a lot of difficult calculations to make. I also though think that, like you said, his ability in rematches makes you think like, okay, could be a different fight if he goes in there uh, and gets another look at Jose Aldo after having been in there with him for five rounds the first time. I, I still think though that we we want to look farther down the head and uh, farther down the road uh, in the featherweight title picture, but. We don't really necessarily know what it's going to look like. You know, with Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor, I, I don't know if we can just be like, all right, Aldo's going to come out of that and then we'll book him four to six months later against whoever's next in line. I, I just, it seems like there's too many uh, possible ways for that to go wrong. Yeah, well, and there are a ton of variables right now, not the least of which is that we don't really know how that Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor fight is going to know or is going to go just because, you know, we don't have enough data at this point, I don't think, on Conor McGregor to really proclaim him either featherweight championship material or not. It could well be that he goes out there and, and is enormous and knocks Jose Aldo out in the first round and takes the belt back to Ireland with him. And, and then all bets are off. Uh, either of those guys, I think, could move up, too, especially if Jose Aldo beats Conor McGregor. He's already told us that he has a quote-unquote special announcement planned, uh, which I don't know what that could possibly be besides a buddy movie with, you know, him and, and Hen and Barrow. Reality TV on show. On the road. Just a couple of freewheeling bachelors. Uh, stopping and giving dancing lessons to uh, right. <laughs> a couple local of, housewives. A couple of fighters dance their way across Brazil. Uh, I'd watch that. Would uh, watch. So yeah, if the, and you know, if, if Aldo wins, then moves up to lightweight, then you got a situation where, uh, you got Faber and Edgar and Mendez and McGregor and Cubby Sampson back in the mix and Max Holloway and any number of dudes that might vie for a vacant featherweight title, which God damn it would be interesting all in its own right. I think you're, you're in pretty good shape right now at 145 pounds, which is maybe as big an accomplishment as anything for that division. If you're Frankie Edgar and you're, like, say, you know, take away, like, the ego of wanting to beat a guy who already has a win over you or anything else like that. Say you're only thinking about, like, I want to have the UFC featherweight title belt strapped around my waist um, as soon as possible. What do you think is the best outcome for you? Is oh, it the that? best outcome is a Conor McGregor victory, right? I mean, we've already seen you against Jose Aldo, and that didn't work out that well. Conor McGregor, like I said, is so much of an unknown, and I would have to think, as we've said on this show before, old man Frankie Edgar sitting in his rocking chair reading the newspaper, hearing the Conor McGregor promo come over the hi-fi, just probably <laughs> looks over the top of his newspaper with his glasses perched on the end of his nose, just like 
sadly shakes his head and goes back to his newspaper. I would have to Taps think out his pipe, regardless of, of how good McGregor actually turns out to be that the guys who've been at the top of this division and the top of any division he's ever been in for Frankie Edgar's case probably aren't buying it at this point. They, they probably have a, uh, I'm going to make this kid prove it type mentality. But if he beats Jose Allo, he will have proved he it. He will have proved it. And, you know, I saw Chuck Mindenhall on Twitter made the point that, and which is a good point, I think that, uh, one of the differences between, uh, Edgar's showing at lightweight and is showing at featherweight is that he doesn't get beat up as bad at featherweight no. as he did at lightweight, where almost everybody he fought, uh, made him bleed and thumped him up pretty good. And that would be a danger against Conor McGregor because Conor McGregor is a big featherweight and a dude that obviously hits super hard. Uh, and it would, that would be an interesting fight, fight as, as far as I'm concerned to see, you know, uh, Frankie Edgar's style, more fast and furious style with, with those takedowns, uh, matched against Conor McGregor's, uh, power style and that kind of strange karate open stance that he has. I'd be interested to see that fight, but if you're Frankie Edgar in your mind, you would kind of have to be licking your chops no matter how that Jose Aldo, Frankie, or uh, Conor McGregor fight goes. I yeah, would think. I don't know. I mean, I would think that your your concerns would be split with, hey, if he beats Jose Aldo, then it turns out this dude actually must be pretty damn good and therefore uh, could be a tough out. Um, although you'd also probably make more money because he's going to be a guy people want to watch, especially if he beats Jose Aldo and becomes champ, he's going to be a huge star. So yeah, you want to get in that spotlight with him and get get a little bit of that money while you can. Um, but also, I would think that uh, your fear would be that if if McGregor wins, what are the odds the UFC just turns right around and does that one again and says, right. wait, or you know, more likely, fight somebody else in the meantime. Um, which, man, if you're Frankie Edgar, you're at the point right now where any fight you take that's not a title fight is just one where you just have stuff to lose. Like, you don't really have that much more to gain. You've already kind of proved yourself at, right. at the top of the division. Right, and, you know, it would tell us a lot, I think, about how the UFC actually feels about Conor McGregor and how desperate it is to to turn a buck uh, in the immediate future by what it does if Conor McGregor comes out of that thing with the, with the title. Uh, because I would think that y- if you think that he's the bee's knees and the future of the featherweight division, you would, you would want to just kind of move along from a, from a Jose Aldo rematch, right? You would just kind of be like, well, we handled our business there. Uh, and now Conor McGregor is going to fight everyone else in the division. But if you were interested in, in a, an enormous payday, you might think about the rematch. Yeah. Uh, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, I don't know if you if you noticed this, if you were keyed into it, but much of the lead up to Bellator 137, uh, such as it was, dealt with Kendall Groves' performance-enhancing drugs accusations against Brandon Halsey uh, prior to their middleweight title fight. Always a good time. Uh, you know, it, it was something about he snooped into Buddy's email, and there was some incriminating evidence in there against Halsey. It got kind of teenage MTV soap opera stuff yeah. there for a little while. But, man, you know how you don't dispel rumors that you're all jacked up on the juice? How? You show up at the weigh-in looking like the Incredible Hulk, and then you miss weight for your own title fight and get stripped of the title. Oh. 188.1 pounds. Ouch. Didn't even really get close. Are you fucking kidding me? Brandon Halsey's coming in off a win over Alexander Slomenko. He goes out there and beats the bricks off Kendall Grove, like I said, in sort of hulkish fashion. Uh, calls out Tito Ortiz leading up to the fight. Seems like it'd be, he could be a nice little developing star for Bellator, but shit, man, you gotta make weight. Missing weight for your own title fight? Are you fucking kidding me? I guess we should point out dude passed his out of competition drug tests in the state of California. So we gotta chalk that up in his favor, but you still gotta make weight. You do. 
Are you fucking kidding me? You're kidding me. He's talking about moving up to 205 now, which I guess maybe makes sense, but uh, is there a Hulk, gotta... Hulk weight division in Bellator? Hulk weight, yes. Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? I know that you heard about Dana White's interview with uh, basically Canadian sports talk show host uh, Michael Landsberg. There where talked about a number of different topics uh, for a for a short interview a lot of questionable things said by the UFC president and I'm not even going to bother with the stuff that he said about Anthony Johnson who Michael Landsberg asked about his quote checkered past when it comes to domestic violence uh, and first of all Dana White said that no that's not true that it was actually Anthony Johnson was being terrorized by some woman and she made a bunch of statements that were proven false in a court of law which no that's not correct at all and when then pressed by Landsberg like, wait didn't Anthony Johnson cop a plea to an earlier domestic violence charge which yes he did uh, Dana White just uh, shook his head and said oh, he didn't know about that um, so but I'm not even going to talk about that Tad when it comes to the Reebok deal Landsberg asked Dana White if he is screwing his fighters with this Reebok deal. Dana White's response, these guys are getting all the money from the Reebok deal. All the money goes to them. What better deal could you cut for these guys? And then when Landsberg points out that many guys seem to think that the existing deal where they could get their own sponsors was a better deal for them. Uh, he replies, I just don't know how the deal could be any better. Could there be a lot more money? Of course there could. Everybody wants more money. That's never going to change. If this deal with Reebok was $200 million, it wouldn't be enough money. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you see what's happening here, Chad? Do you see the line of reasoning that makes it so that the UFC cannot possibly be criticized for this? Because, hey, there could always be more money. Right. Everybody's going to complain, Chad. So, therefore, even though we are making a deal that basically every fighter says is going to cost him money, they don't get the right to complain because they would complain about anything no matter what. There could always be more money, Chad. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's just not a good faith argument. Why'd you do it in the first place if, if, two, if 200 million wouldn't even be enough? I don't, I just don't understand it. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. I'm going to throw some some words out at you. Oh, God, not words. What are we doing? Are we doing word association? UFC 173, UFC 181, UFC 184, UFC 187. What do they all have in common? Whatever Globo wanted. It got. <laughs> right? Is that right? Am I close? The look of sheer panic on your face it makes this all worth it. All of those events, Chad, were at one time or another supposed to have a pairing between Chris Weidman, UFC middleweight champion, and Vitor Belfort. Wow, that's a lot. Now, at last, at last, Chad, everybody has got their testosterone levels in check, we hope, so we're told. Uh, their bones all where they're supposed to be, and we can finally give the green light to this sucker and go ahead. And at this point, to be honest, what it feels like, kind of get it over with. It seems like one of these fights that's been talked about for so long that everybody is already thinking ahead to who's going to be the next challenger in the middleweight division. Now we got to actually go and do the damn thing between Chris Weidman and Vitor Belfort. It seems to me, does it not seem this way to you, like everybody is just assuming, like, well, here's, here's another win for Weidman. Let's go ahead and chalk it up. 
Yeah, it does, and that is one of the things that I feel like makes it a dangerous trap fight, if you will, for the UFC's undefeated middleweight champion, uh, and also why we began the show with uh, with those words about how maybe we should be preparing for a doomsday-type scenario just in case, because... You know, even though we've we've rid the sport of testosterone replacement therapy, and even though we believe Vitor Belfort has been tested out of competition leading up to this fight, uh, even though he looks like a completely different human headed into uh, this fight against Chris Weidman, he looks like a really, really, really in shape 38-year-old dude instead of looking like someone stuck Vitor Belfort's head on Godzilla's body. Uh, can you ever trust a guy? Can you, like... Can you look deep in your heart and be like, yes, I can vouch for Vitor Belfort moving forward as a clean fighter? Because if the answer is no, then I feel like it would be interesting slash unfortunate to have him as the middleweight champion of the UFC. Are you willing to apply that standard across the board to every champion in the UFC? Well, I'm the guys who have been caught cheating before. Okay. I think, I mean, I think that's the, uh, those are the guys that that applies to. Uh, well, I mean, I you got to go with good faith on some of the guys, or else, or else just, all is lost. You're just gonna, you know, see if a, that light fixture will hold a rope, right? <laughs> well, okay, I guess my my feeling is not so much that like I need to be able to trust that Vitor Belfort would never do something like that because clearly he would, he has. Um, I I feel more like I just need to have faith in the the apparatuses of the sport that it's going to do everything reasonable to catch him if he's doing those things. And I feel like we've gotten a lot better. And it feels like for this fight, you know, uh, there were there was a talk about, hey, we're going to test Vitor Belfort out of competition. And then when it didn't seem like they're doing that uh, and that became an issue, then, OK, they did start to get on. We, we've heard that he's been tested. Uh, so. I'm a little bit encouraged by that. I, I think we're kind of headed in the right direction with some of that stuff. I also, though, wonder, like, when I look at the betting odds for this one, and I believe Christmas Weidman's like a 5-1 to one favorite right about now, um, which, you know, I, I'm definitely going to pick Weidman for this. I think he's going to win it. But I also wonder how much of that is, like, we're going off what we know with Vitor Belfort in the past or what we know about Chris Weidman, uh, or how much of it is that we think Vitor Belfort is off the gummy berry juice and won't be able to to hop around and spin kick people upside the damn heads all crazy. Like how much of it is based on us thinking Vitor Belfort came back down to earth and as you said is now just a in shape dude. Well, a lot of it I think because for about 10 years from about 1997 to 2007 2008 the blueprint was out there on how to beat Vitor Belfort and it was basically the same thing that Randy Couture did as far back as UFC 15. And that was just to kind of wrestle the guy and get him tired. Wait to so not get knocked out in the first round, not, not get knocked out in the first 15 seconds. Uh, and, and then, you know, eventually he would kind of break. That was the book on him for, for a good long time. Uh, you know, right up to the point where he was about 14 and eight, uh, in 2007, 2008. And then he kind of became this other thing for a few years that, Rediscovered Cul himself culminated in him knocking everybody out with head kicks right in a row. Uh, maybe the single greatest uh, string of knockouts in, in one calendar year that we've seen. Uh, and so now that that he, he's not going to be able to be on the testosterone replacement therapy anymore. I think there is a widespread expectation that he will revert to being the other Vitor Belfort, whether that's that's right or wrong. 
I don't know, man. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to wait and see. I also don't think we can discount the idea that yeah, Chris Weidman is super super good, and in almost every way, you think looks like the prototype of what uh, a UFC champion in 2015 is gonna look like skill set wise. But he's only 12 and 0, and you know, there's you could say even that like there's maybe still some stuff we don't know about him. And if it if Vitor Belfort showed up for this fight and it turned out Chris Weidman had some fatal flaw that we didn't know about, uh, it would be surprising, but it, it shouldn't be shocking if you've been around this sport for a long time, because, you know, we've seen that happen to over and over again to people that, that have been undefeated. And then once you see them defeated, you're like, Oh yeah. Why didn't we think of that before? Yeah, I knew this that was person happen. obviously has his fatal flaw. I've been saying it overrated. Okay. Now say we go out there minute and a half into the fight. Vitor Belfort, even not, like looking suddenly less vascular, uh, looking more human, pulls off some crazy spinning kick, kicks Weidman in the head, knocks him out, jumps on top of the cage, is celebrating with all his buddies from the Black Zillions, uh, strap the belt around his waist, and we look at him and we go, that Vitor Belfort does not look like he's on anything, and now he's the champion. How do you feel about it then? I don't know, man. How would you feel if Lance Armstrong shows back up and wins the Tour de France next year? I wouldn't are you, give a damn. Are you going to be like, oh, racing. yeah, we're probably on the level here. Everything's good. I mean, we. I guess we have to believe that Vitor Belfort is on the level, but I also can't really f- foresee a future where there's not an inkling of doubt in our minds if he once again uh, starts turning in superhuman performances, like regardless of how he looks, kind of. So you're, you're if saying he shows up looking like he looked to fight John Jones, I think there's going to be a lot of doubts. <laughs> he shows up looking like a normal 38 year old dude, but is somehow you know explosive and and dangerous for longer than than five minutes or so. Uh, yeah, man, we're gonna wonder. That's just that's that kind of sucks, but like that's just the, the truth of it. Yeah. What I really wonder is what he tells himself because I'm sure that he you know was telling himself when he was on the TRT like, hey, this is a legal treatment that I'm doing. I have doctor's notes. I have all this stuff. The commission says I can do it. The UFC says I can do it. These people are unfairly criticizing me and haranguing me about this. And it's all totally legit and above board. Um, this sucks. I'm sure like it was easy to kind of tell himself that, but then when you have to get off and let's say, you know, let's, let's assume that he, he just totally got off of the stuff. Um, and you know, is now doing like creatine and protein shakes or whatever. And Jesus, bro. And, and Jesus is not, he's not doing anything. He's not supposed to be doing. Uh, how do you, what do you tell yourself? Like you had this great year when you were on testosterone, you were doing great. How do you get off of it and not feel somewhere in the back of your mind? Like, uh Oh, am I still going to be able to do the same things? Am I still the same guy? Even if you tell yourself that you weren't doing anything wrong, how does it not affect your mental state? I guess I wonder like how much of having to get off the TRT is going to be physical for him and how much will be mental by the time he gets in there. That's a good question, man, because the differences are pretty stark, really, when you when you think about it. There was a, uh, a stretch in there when Vitor went about four and six from 2002 until Dan Anderson beat him in October of 2006. And that, I would say, was probably the height of of people like kind of having the book on him and kind of having him figured out. And then, you know, over the next few years, uh, he kind of built himself into a monster. And I don't know that we have at this point really gotten a straight answer about whether or not he was on the TRT in February of 2011 when he got knocked out against Anderson Silva, because he said different things about that. So it is going to be an interesting, you know, psychological question for him 
uh, just in, in terms of how he, he approaches this fight and whether or not he will secretly harbor any doubts. Uh, and I would think though, to be a professional fighter at this level and to be a professional fighter, uh, at Vitor Belfort's level, as long as he's been doing it, you would have to kind of be a master at, I don't know if you want to call it self-deception, but you'd have to kind of be a master of focusing on the positives, so <laughs> to speak. You, I see what you're saying. I guess lastly, if you're the UFC, can we go ahead and assume that the UFC is really hoping that it doesn't have to deal with these questions going forward and that Chris Weidman will just roll through him and then we can set up our, our all-American uh, – you know, Long Island bros versus the surfers in the parking lot, uh, but except the parking lot, do it at Madison Square Garden. Like the UFC would rather not even entertain like going these questions going forward, right? Wouldn't it just be simpler for them if Weidman beats up Belfort and we don't have to deal with the the complicated situation that is Vitor Belfort? I mean, logically, yeah, but who knows what these guys are thinking from You're one maybe Globo from one moment to the Globo next. Yeah, wants. probably get an excited call from Globo. I'm gonna move the whole middleweight division to Brazil because that's what Globo wants. Uh, you know, if you watch that uh, blog, Dana White blog, where they're in Brazil and it's the Dan Henderson fight. I think Vitor Belfort knocks out Dan Henderson in the first round, and there's some footage of both Lorenzo Fertitta and Dana White going backstage to meet with Vitor Belfort after that fight when it is clear that he is just juiced out of his mind on TRT. And they do not seem conflicted, not even a little bit. And so Vitor Belfort is this guy who's gotten so many chances, man, that you kind of got to think somebody likes that guy, man. Somebody would have to be happy to have that guy as champion. Otherwise, what are we even doing here? Well, how much of that do you think was they were glad to see uh, him knock out Dan Henderson, who was always kind of negotiating-wise a pain in their ass, and a, like gleefully, gleefully a pain in their ass about it, and really kind of seemed to enjoy that. And plus, you know, a Vitor Belfort versus Dan Henderson fight in Brazil, that's kind of a TRT fest to begin with. Like, if you're going to go picking who you want based on uh, TRT stuff, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, good enough point. Uh, well, we're going to find out this weekend. We'll see which version of Vitor Belfort shows up, and then uh, next week we'll have to circle back and see where we are. Uh, landscape-wise in the uh, middleweight division. <laughs> Should be interesting. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and move on to round number three. Ben, by way of wacky coincidence, the last guy to beat Anthony Rumble Johnson was Vitor Belfort at UFC 142 back in January of 2012, and he'll be fighting in the co-main event for the middleweight title this weekend at UFC 187, while Anthony Johnson takes on Daniel Cormier in a little bit of a do-over for the UFC light heavyweight title, which had to be... uh remade i guess you could say after the uh the reigning champion had himself a, a little bit of a hit and run and uh a running back to grab a wad of cash and then running away situation it happened, happened in his life it's it happened to all of us yeah. at one time or another uh heading into that anthony johnson john jones fight which was scheduled for ufc 187 i kind of had the inkling that anthony johnson's power was going to be more trouble for john jones than some people thought and i got the vibe from you that you didn't agree with me so I guess that to ask to open up 
this round. Do you think it's going to be a problem for Daniel Cormier or do you got Cormier rolling in this one with, uh, you know, his wrestling skills and whatnot? You know, I think this one is, for me, a, a tougher one to call. Uh, it wasn't that I thought that Anthony Johnson's power would not be a problem for John Jones, just that, like, I mean, I think his power is legit and, and can give anybody problems. But John Jones also seems to deal with that just fine. Like, and if anything, the danger is that he seems really confident in his ability to take a punch and maybe does it more than he needs to. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see him as being the kind of guy where you're going to crack him once and, and completely change his life around. But who knows? I mean, that, that can always happen. With, with Cormier, though, it's the same kind of situation where I don't know that I've ever really seen Cormier look like he was super hurt, uh, from a punch, but at the same time, like, he hasn't been hit by Anthony Johnson yet, so who knows? And it is kind of a small sample size for him when you're trying to go out there and look for examples of how he takes a shot. I do think, though, that like you hear Cormier talk about it and you kind of get the sense of what he's telling himself, which is like, hey, Anthony Johnson was in those fights before where he got pushed a little bit, and when he got pushed, he quit. And And every wrestler... Those guys, they would rather beat you that way than pretty much any other way. They'd rather just grind it out until you give up and want to go home uh, than they would just like completely dominate you with like superior skill or something and finish you early on. So I think that that's probably his best hope, um, whether that's a, uh, a possibility or not. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on like how the first initial engagements go. Because if you remember that fight with Anthony Johnson and Phil Davis, and it was kind of like once Phil Davis got cracked a couple times and realized he couldn't really get uh, Anthony Johnson to the ground very easily, it seemed like his whole mentality changed. And it would be interesting to see if, if that happens with Daniel Cormier. Yeah, and I think that's that's a valid point and a valid hope on Cormier's part, just because we I don't know that we've seen... Anthony Johnson pushed per se in his last nine fights, all of which he's won. Because you make a good point about, about Phil Davis. That was a fight that Anthony Johnson was dominating throughout and was kind of able to set the pace. And, and so we didn't necessarily see him have to, uh, swim his way out of deep water in any really meaningful fashion. And aside from that, you know, during this, this nine fight career turnaround that he's had, the only other decisions that he, that he had were, uh, against Andre Arlovsky and against, uh, Dave Branch, both of which were three round fights. And I don't remember well enough to tell you how the pace was in those couple of fights. And aside from that, it's just a bunch of first and second round knockouts. So, uh, maybe if Daniel Cormier can get in there and do the Olympic wrestler thing and, and go a hundred miles an hour the whole time, it will be a situation where Anthony Johnson just can't keep up with him. Uh, you know, what's interesting to me about Anthony Johnson is how surprised he seems every time he keeps winning these fights. Like the face <laughs> that he made when he knocked out Alexander Gustafson was, he just was a shock kind of just like, wow, really me? I knocked this guy out in the first round and now I'm probably going to be the number one contender. And that was kind of his attitude when I talked about, talked to him before that fight too. Like he said, he wasn't thinking about the title. He wasn't, you know, uh, making grand plans to go on and fight John Jones at that point. He said he was very much still in the process of trying to prove to himself that he belonged in the top, uh, three or four or five light heavyweights in the world. Uh, so to me, that's like an interesting, mental place for a fighter to be in. And I don't know, maybe we're just analyzing it too much, but if, if, if that is your mentality and you're still unsure whether or not you belong getting into a 25 minute, uh, you know, war with Daniel Cormier doesn't necessarily seem like 
the kind of thing you want to do. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, and anybody can be knocked out. You know, we, we sometimes make that mistake of just thinking that somebody has a good chin and therefore they'll never catch that one punch that puts them on their back. But you look at Daniel Cormier and just like physically, if you're going to build somebody like a body to absorb blows, he has that kind of stereotypical frame, right? Like not much of a neck to really get a whole lot of torque on when you land on his chin. Uh, head just like a small boulder kind of wedged down into his shoulders. Like it seems like he's probably going to be there for a little while. And I think that regardless of how it turns out, that's what's going to make it a really interesting fight for Anthony Johnson is because you said like we haven't seen him have to kind of slog through too many tough times in this current win streak that he's on. Uh, and this one seems like it'll probably at least get out of the first round and, and force us to, to answer some of those questions. What I wonder about is Daniel Cormier's mindset right now, because, you know, it's, I'm sure he's was more than yes to the opportunity when the USC came along and said, Hey, first question, have you committed any felony hit and runs lately? <laughs> no, good. Do you want to fight for the UFC light heavyweight title again? Because man, he just had that heartbreaking loss to John Jones in January. And you know, remember that, that clip of him, hugging Cain Velasquez backstage and you could hear him crying and you could just, and he went to the press conference and you could just hear the hurt in his voice. And it seemed like, Oh man, this is going to be like a, a huge moment in Daniel Cormier's life where he's going to have to rebuild himself and come back from this again. And we, you know, I think we all kind of envisioned a much longer like trajectory wherever it went from there. And instead here we are like, you know, less than six months later and we're saying like, Oh wait, you haven't even fought again, but do you want to go and turn around and fight for the title? Like, that seems like it could be a, a weird, like, a difficult thing to get your, yourself in the right minds, like, frame of mind to go in there and do that so quickly after what happened in the John Jones fight. Yeah, and if there's a kind of guy in this industry that is going to be cognizant of that, it's going to be Daniel Cormier, right? Because he's a smart guy, a self-aware guy, um, has a long history of competition, kind of a long history of, of heartbreak on big stages. So he's definitely going to, you would think a guy like Daniel Cormier would definitely know, uh, deep down in his mind, uh, that even if he wins this fight and comes out of it, he's not necessarily going to be the real champ until he gets in there to fight John Jones again. I would think that, uh, psychologically though, and maybe this goes back to what I was saying about Vitor Belfort a round ago, you know, these guys have no choice but to focus on the positives, especially when you're slogging through the uh, the drudgery of a training camp, getting ready to go fight somebody like Anthony Johnson in a main event fight. You kind of have to focus on the positives. And if anything, you would think Daniel Cormier would probably think of this as a shortcut back to a second fight with John Jones. And, you know, depending on what happens to John Jones in the future. And you got to think that that's the thing Daniel Cormier, the competitor inside him, wants more than anything else. Yeah, probably. And, you know, the good news for him is that since he was already getting ready to, to fight Ryan Bader uh, at that fight night in, in New Orleans uh, in early June, like kind of around the same time frame, because you would also wonder like, hey, a guy like him who uh, the weight could be an issue, um, it might not be so easy to tell him to turn right around and, and can you make 205 real quick to, to fight Anthony Johnson? I mean, he's already kind of probably on pace for that and was already getting ready for it a little bit. I wonder like what a guy like Daniel Cormier thinks when you tell him like, Hey, instead of fighting a guy like Ryan Bader, you're going to fight Anthony Johnson. Now, do you think of it as like, oh, okay, I'm going to fight a guy who I think is probably easier to take down and out wrestle. Um, and his power is just a little better. Like, what do you think he tells himself are the big differences in those fights? 
Well, he, like I said, he's a smart dude. You know, he's probably the moment they found out that he was going to have that stylistic switch in opponents. I'm sure that Javier Mendez and Crazy Bob Cook and the guys at the American Kickboxing Academy uh, got into the, a different game plan for Anthony Johnson. And, you know, I think when you've been an athlete as long as Daniel Cormier has and been, you know, a combat sports athlete as long as Daniel Cormier has, uh, you probably really trust in your own abilities and you probably really trust in the preparation. And so having some time to get ready and prepare for Anthony Johnson, it's certainly going to be a different fight than Ryan Bader. And maybe he had a little bit less time uh, to prepare for it. But again, I would have to believe that, that Daniel Cormier is such a professional that he'll be ready for that. I don't And I don't know that that in and of itself poses that big of a of a challenge for him you know just shifting gears between a guy who might come at you with a with a wrestling based attack to a a, you know a guy who's gonna try to knock your head off um probably not that big of a stylistic impediment i would think i think you got to be ready to fight any of those guys if you're daniel cormier i think for for cormier it seems like it would have to be a really weird moment if you go out there and you beat anthony johnson right after this john jones thing and they strap the belt around your waist and it's like i did it Kind of. Yeah. Kind of did it. Well, it's a totally kind of Daniel Cormier thing to have happen to himself, right? Like, he made that comment, like you said, after the John Jones fight that he was going to have to go back in and rebuild himself. And, like, you know, if he even if he wins the title and he's the champion, he'll still have one more enormous hurdle in front of him. Which, I mean, I guess that would be the kind of thing you have to believe kind of stokes the fire inside him or else I don't know why he would still be messing around in, in competitive athletics even this long. So um, it's going to be an interesting fight. Anthony Johnson, I think, is going to have some uh, physical advantages. He'll have about a six-inch reach advantage, I think. Uh, but uh, stylistically, maybe Daniel Cormier has the, uh, you know, the historical uh, advantage of, of wrestler against striker. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And then even when we have a champion, we'll have to sit around and wait a while to find out what happens with the other champion, whether or not he comes back and when, and, and when we can put that fight together, let's do just saying stuff. And then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff for this week? Well, Chad, my just saying stuff. I don't know if you noticed this, uh, during the broadcast, probably not. Cause you probably didn't wake your lazy ass up to watch. All the prelims oh, on Fox hell no. Sports Only 1. like three people did that. Dude. Yeah. Well, I was one of them. Congratulations. Uh, some some technical difficulties for Fox Sports 1 uh, during UFC Fight Night 66. For one thing, uh, in one of the, the early prelim bouts when Ning Guang Yu and uh, Royston Wee, uh, towards the end of the second round, you see Wee get knocked down. Guang Yu's pouring it on him. The round is not quite over. We cut to commercial. Oh, yeah, uh, that happened on the main card, too. Yeah, well, and then we come back, and, oh, it turns out the fight was over. Oh, well, that's a bummer. Yeah, that is a bummer. We didn't actually see it, but the fight ended. Um, and on the main card, I can't remember if it was the Neil Magny fight or the, the Fleet Nova fight, where uh, we're, during the fight, we're just cutting to a couple seconds of commercial, then cutting back, and then back to a couple seconds of commercial, and then back. Uh, and... Also, when in some of these translated interviews, which are already just an awkward thing to sit through, and they just go on and on and on while some guy talks for like three minutes and then his translator says he wants to thank his mother and his sister and especially his wife and also his sponsors. And you're like, I'm pretty sure he said more than that. I'm just saying, if we can't get this part of it down, I mean, if we know we're going to run over and that's just fine, something we've accepted about life, that we can't stay within the bounds of a scheduled broadcast, 
we at least ought to be able to tell ourselves we will not go to commercial until we hear the horn that signifies the end of a round. Not during a round, not just before the round ends, but when the round is actually over. I'm just saying, it can't be that hard, Jad! It can't be that hard. I'm just saying. Just saying. Ben, this week, my just saying stuff comes in the form of a potential thread title for an MMA discussion board forum. Huh. I'm just saying, quote, Vanderlei Silva to Bellator dot 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 question mark question mark question mark. As you probably know, Ben, a district court judge in the state of Nevada overturned Vanderlei Silva's lifetime ban and $70,000 fine at the hands of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, saying the penalty was, and I quote, in excess of the statutory authority of that agency. Uh, how about that? Yeah, you think? And that also, I don't know, kind of makes you wonder about those new weed rules, too. But Vanderlei will have to go back in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission for a resentencing, which doesn't sound awkward at all. Um, but, I mean, I think I'm, I speak for everyone when I'm just saying... Let's get him there. Let's get this over with, maybe with a, a suspension that he has already served retroactively, and let's ship him out to Thackerville, Oklahoma, so we can get on with the business that everyone wants to see, that being endless fights and rematches against dudes like Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock. I'm just saying. Now you got this all planned out, don't you? I'm just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for the Co-Main Event Podcast this week. We'll be back next week to tell you about the stuff that happened at UFC 187 and look ahead to the next weekend of mixed martial arts action. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. I'm going to go put some ice on my balls. That is just not what I wanted to hear from you. I wanted a much more painless and positive review of the vasectomy process. Listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Well, I guess I have to appreciate that you're going to give me the straight dope and that you're not just going to be a yes man on the subject of your testicles. Uh, but still, now I'm just feeling less confident about my